The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to the West Coast edition of Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends who's trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put in contest. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This week, it's like the whole world's been turned upside down. We've got record highs, Dow surging 267 points. Uh, S&P gaining 0.84%, NASDAQ falling 1.06%. Texas and terrific earnings forecasts and yesterday's trade deal with China. But at the same time, individual companies are taking action to fight climate change in a way that's unprecedented. These are initiatives that could hurt earnings per share. Yet the market doesn't seem to care. Market seems to like it. It's insane. For my entire life, especially the last 40 years, you had companies doing anything they could to make a profit. And the government working to restrain them. It was the government that forced big business to care about clean air and clean water. Thank you, Richard Nixon. We took it as a given that companies would try to get away with anything they could, legally, of course, in order to maximize profits for their bosses, the shareholders. If this endless quest for growth at at, at any cost had harmful side effects, well, Wall Street didn't care at all. The market was amoral. And if you wanted to be a good investor, you had to ignore this stuff. But in a monumental twist... We've seen a shocking paradigm shift of late. Suddenly, capitalism is trying to regulate itself at a time when the environment's a pretty low priority for the U.S. government, wouldn't you say? Not that long ago, if you told me the private industry would lead the fight against climate change, I would have laughed in your face. So let's see. Tuesday, BlackRock, the gigantic asset manager, announced they're going to start taking sustainability into account when they invest. That's right, because they think climate change is too big a risk to ignore. Today, Microsoft, the second largest company in America, demands that its own people, along with its suppliers and even its end users, take aggressive action to reduce their carbon emissions. This is extraordinary. Yeah, even the users. We're going to find out more about what Microsoft's up to later in the show when we sit down with CEO Sachin Nadella and CFO Amy Hood at their headquarters in Redmond, Washington, which we happen to be at. 
Pretty cool, huh? Anyway, they're attacking greenhouse gases root and branch with the goal of being carbon negative by 2030. I've been in this business for 40 years. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Forget earnings per share. Microsoft it is focused on something we've been talking about on Mad Money for some time, something we call impact per share. It's almost like they're turning into the old EPA, back when the organization was a lot more heavy-handed. You want their business? Build some wind turbines and solar panels. If not, you know what? They're going to take their data centers and put them somewhere else. The great irony here is that the government's more focused than ever on creating value for shareholders. There are tons of winners from Trump's trade deal with China that aren't getting enough credit. Let's see, Blackstone, Visa, MasterCard, Dow Chemical, AIG, all the banks, especially J.P. Morgan, and of course the beleaguered Boeing. How do I get those companies? Because those were the CEOs were named at the press conference. I've heard endless carping about how China's commitments probably won't kick in until China rolls back its own tariffs on our exports. I say, give me a break. All right, take the numbers up in 2021 for that press conference. On the other impact, the other impact per share side, there's going to be no delay. The push starts now, not in out years. There are no contingencies. I got a real sense of urgency from Microsoft. Something that's reminiscent of the old Department of War, frankly, funded by a $1 billion climate innovation fund to come up with novel ways to fight climate destruction. At its heart, There's a titanic struggle going on here. Corporations are rethinking their entire purpose, including the hard science of stopping what CEO Nadella called the devastation of the environment by cutting the carbon cord, not a climate denier here. If the government won't do it, then Microsoft will lead by example. The president doesn't seem to regard climate change as a serious issue for the nation's welfare. Otherwise, he wouldn't champion the burning of coal. You know what this 48-hour period tells me? We got a Don Quixote White House tilting at coal plants, while at Microsoft we got a cerebral, determined leader putting real money where his company's bottom line is to change the world, or else you won't be able to see out the window, let alone buy windows at all. Can it be done? The bottom line is that it's possible, but the much more important point is that this shift has happened at all. Whether or not Microsoft can save the environment, what matters is that they're making the attempt and the stock wasn't punished for it at all. In fact, it was rewarded. Like I said, the world's turned upside down. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Adam in Florida. Adam. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My question Good to have is you. About, my question is about uh, Pinterest. I bought it on IPO day and I watched it go all the way to 36. And on the last earnings call, I feel that the company did just about everything they said they would do. Uh, I even bought more on Christmas time uh, lows. And okay. uh, now there's a report out saying that, that Pinterest has surpassed Snapchat as the number three social media app in the U.S. in relation to domestic users. International growth looks to be just getting started. What are your thoughts for a long-term, uh, long-term hold from here? And I've got to tell you, uh, I was impressed by that same report that you saw. Um, I think the stock can bounce here. I don't want to get too uh, ahead of my skis here, though, because why? It has not blown out the numbers. And I think that it's good, but it's not great. I actually would prefer Alphabet here. The world is turned upside down, people. We're seeing a paradigm shift. It's now all about impact per share, not just earnings per share. And stocks aren't getting punished for trying to have a positive impact on the climate change situation. Man, money tonight. Microsoft's had a total return of over 400% since Hunter Nadella took the helm. 400% total shareholder return. 
And the company just announced an ambitious climate change plan today. They're going to roll back time. I'm sitting down with the man himself from the company's headquarters, plus a special appearance from the company's bankable CFO. Then you might know Heinz, but how many varieties of ketchup are you seeing in this market? And GW Pharmaceuticals made big news earlier this week after announcing earnings beat. I sat down with the CEO yesterday to find out if it can head higher. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. I got to spend all day at Microsoft's headquarters in Redmond, Washington. And this was a huge day out here. See, today Microsoft announced that they plan to fight climate change with the goal of becoming better than carbon neutral by 2030. And they want to retroactively offset all the company's emissions from its entire history by 2050. You know how I've been telling you Wall Street suddenly cares about sustainability? Well, I think that's part of the reason why Microsoft's stock rallied three bucks today. The times there are changing. Company's got a great track record. It's made investors a fortune in recent years, so they now have the leeway to take a stand. So a few moments ago, I sat down with the great Satya Nadella. He is the bankable CEO of Microsoft in his first ever appearance on the show. Take a look. So we're here on a monumental day, and we got to talk about it, because this is a day where you basically redefined this company and became what I think is the capitalist leader doing something that's maybe more important than just earning per share. You're doing impact per share. Why? First of all, thank you for being here. It's so awesome to have you here on our campus. You're absolutely right. It's a big day. In fact, it's, I would say, a big decade in front of all of us. And today is a start. Uh, what is, you know, when I think about our mission to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more, the fundamental thing is let's put more depth to what achieve more looks like for the world. 
Uh, to us, it means we need, uh, of course, as a company, we need to be able to drive broad economic growth. But it's just not economic growth, but it's about really having that core inclusive growth, trust in technology, and all that we do should lead to a more sustainable world. And so today's announcements were that last part, which is commitments we're making by 2030 to become, become carbon negative, to in fact go back in history all the way to our founding in 1975, look at all of our energy consumption from electricity and other sources, and make sure that we recapture that. Um, and, and of course, we also know that it's not just about what we do, it's the ecosystem and the innovation. We need breakthroughs, so we're even putting a billion dollars in an innovation fund. So we're very excited. We know it's a small part, quite frankly, of what all of us will have to do to achieve more. But I'm not so sure it's small out 2050. Uh, if you don't do these things, what does it mean for both the planet and, of course, for Microsoft? I mean, the science, I think, at this point is very clear. Uh, if the temperatures rise, I think the impact it's going to have on, let's talk about the economy, the economy that we all enjoy or the capitalist system that we all enjoy, I think will fundamentally be in jeopardy if the planet, which is the resource, the factor of production that has fueled all of our capital, capitalist society, will be in danger. So to me, that's the existential priority. And for us as a company, for now, you know, it is all about making sure the commitments is the start of then ensuring that we are living up to those commitments. So I think it's really 2030 and 2050 uh, that we're looking forward to, to doing our part. You're a rigorous man and your company is rigorous about numbers. This is the first time I've heard anybody lay out an actual, let's say, yardstick that's hard. And it's not just for your company, but it's for your suppliers and even for the users of your technology. How can you enforce it? And what does it mean when someone says, you know what, it's going to hurt our profitability. We're not playing ball. Yeah, I mean, look, this is not the first time we've done these things. First of all, you're absolutely right. We have to be rigorous. And it's not about making commitments or making claims. It's about follow through. Right. Uh, so, for example, when we even change some of the benefit policies uh, to say that anybody who works at Microsoft, even if they are a vendor, will get uh, the parental leave or sick leave, we had to pay for it from our P&L because we fully expected uh, that the companies uh, that are employing these people uh, are probably not going to be able to increase their wages. So in some sense, we have a count. We've done our homework. We know what the, our emissions are, and both on all the scopes, scope one, two, and three. Uh, and we feel that we have had a bottoms-up plan on how we go about it. We've, one of the things that has really helped us is the carbon tax, which we introduced multiple years ago, right. has built an internal rigor, so to speak, right. uh, on what does it mean uh, to actually have a way to think about an accounting for carbon and then go after it. Well, going a little bit bigger than carbon, you care about other values, including carbon, Artificial intelligence. Many of us are worried that it can be used for harm, not just for good. You're thinking about what technology will mean. I mean, you're talking about uh, tech intensity. I hear that and I say, I'm concerned that tech's too intense and powerful. You are uh, the second largest tech company in the world, and these are the things you're thinking about. Yeah, first of all, let's, you know, I'm an optimist. I okay, do believe fair. technology can make a huge difference. I mean, think about it. It's the most malleable resource that we as humans have ever found is software, right? And to think about right. this as a factor of production that changes, you know, precision medicine, 
uh, precision agriculture, right. feed everybody, right? Or connected cars, or, you know, connected factories. I think that this is amazing. And the technology in terms of computing is getting embedded in the real world. Artificial intelligence, for example. I mean, think about what the state of the art or whether it's reinforcement learning or this what we call multimodal, large-scale model training. It's just essentially helping us discover new knowledge uh, that is not possible even before. And Or take even somebody with disabilities today with breakthroughs in computer vision for someone with visual impairment they can interpret the world someone with dyslexia can read because of what ai can provide but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be clear-eyed about the unintended consequences of let's say technologically driven unemployment or right. bias right. in uh, any ai algorithm and so we have to counter that so take bias First of all, we as a software company are building tools, just like how we build tools in order to ensure that people don't have security bugs in software. We should say, if anybody building an AI model, how can they de-bias the AI model? And by the way, the other thing we have learned, the best way to de-bias any AI model is to have a diverse team building it in the first place. I see. So smart. And you won't be able to track the diversity unless you do some of these things we're talking about. At the same time that you're doing all these things, you are a competitor. Now, you have a different style from your predecessor, who was a golden good friend of mine from college. You are a cerebral lead-by-example person, but you're also competitive. And when I watch your National Retail Federation piece, you mentioned it's Walgreens. You mentioned Walmart. It's Starbucks. Those are three gigantic retailers. You're still you're in a titanic battle against another company to get those customers, and you also offer a value position that AWS doesn't. I care about that. Tell people. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think what's happening in retail is pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, everyone, 2019 has sort of realized that what retail is, it's about omni-channel retail. You need the physical stores, you need the online presence, but most importantly, you got to connect the two things seamlessly. Uh, one of the things that I talked about was what, how Walmart has completely changed the game around how they're doing delivery. Uh, so I can order my groceries, I can start going to the store, it, given the geofencing uh, features, their IoT essentially inside the store wakes up, makes sure that things get packed fresh and is really for delivery. So it's the best example of Walmart taking their physical asset, their digital capability, and we are partnering with them. Same thing with Walgreens, what they want to do even for chronic care management like diabetes. Uh, or what Marks right. and Spencers has done by essentially taking their store and making it a computer. They embedded computing. So this is another fascinating thing is people, places, and things are increasingly having digital twins. And since a digital infrastructure is more malleable, you can predict things, automate things, gain insights, are like unprecedented ways. How'd you gain the insight to do Azure? When I saw you last, uh, you made bold uh, claims, I said at the time, of how much money you could make with Azure. Uh, you've vastly exceeded them, even as some of us were, oh, please, who is this man? Uh, how did you see it? How did you know? Uh, and how much of the future will be Azure? I mean, quite frankly, you know, um, it's sort of the guy who gave me permission to do all this was Steve Ballmer. Uh, if you think about it, he wanted us to be bold and go at the cloud very aggressively, and that's what we did. And one of the key things, Jim, we did was we didn't even think about Azure separate from Microsoft 365 or Dynamics 365 or now even Xbox Live or Xbox, uh, xCloud. We had a vision. After all, we're a 
computing infrastructure and platform company. What right. is that next generation? We, and by the way, I was always grounded on the fact that it will be a distributed computing infrastructure. It's the cloud and the edge. For example, one of the fascinating things is I used to talk about the edge. In fact, I even started talking about the cloud and the edge in probably four years ago. And people say, what is he talking about? Well, Except now, it is the conventional wisdom. That's what it takes. I think you have to have conviction on where the world is going. Make sure you bet long before anybody gives you credit for it. Uh, and then, of course, execute. And that's what we have done at every layer of the stack, at the infrastructure level, platform as a service, SaaS layer. And that's what we're doing. Do you think that the marketplace will continue to pay as much as it does for your perfect execution? For instance, uh, the stock 410% return since you started, $1.24 trillion. Will there be some executives uh, at major firms, funds, that say, you know what, I'm not going to buy that stock. That guy cares too much about these ethereal things. Or will the world change so much that if you don't care about these mandates, your stock's going to go down? That's a great question. I mean... You know, I, you know, I was you, you and I were talking before we got on uh, the air, which is, you know, there's this great book by Colin Mayer called Prosperity, and he talks about what is a corporation, and the corporation's purpose is to find profitable solutions to the problems of people and planet. Okay. Right. Profitable is the key word, but problems is the other key word for people and planet. So I think what ha happens is if you're creating a lot of profit. And, cre and creating more problems for planet or people, I think it'll catch up with you. So in some sense, the way I look at it and say is, hey, let's go after the core of what we're doing. It's not about caring about ethereal things. Our shareholders, I, yeah. I am always saying, our shareholders are the ones who are giving us permission to be able to think about whether it is uh, the uh, affordable housing or whether it's the carbon it's our shareholders who care as much about this as anyone else. And they give us permission, and therefore we are accountable to them to execute on these commitments we are making, it, and that's good for business. It's interesting. They'll give you 28 times earnings, one of the highest multiples, certainly the highest multiple for uh, any of the plus 100, 100 billion companies, because they want to, you to have that permission. Now, there are other issues in tech that you've spoken about that are, uh, let's say, on the uh, hot griddle right now, privacy. Uh, Apple versus the Justice Department. Corporations upholding uh, things that aren't necessarily in the Constitution. There's nothing about privacy in the Constitution, sadly, I think, uh, versus a government that is intrusive. Once again, we've got situation. Government wants coal. You want no coal. Government wants intrusion. Corporations want privacy. Where do you come down on these things? First of all, you know, we're clear that both things matter here. The two okay. things being privacy. As a right. citizen, as a user, I care deeply about privacy. And as a citizen, I also care about public safety. Right. So both of these have to be in balance. And I think we have to come up with legislative mechanisms for that. Things right. like backdoors and so on are just bad ideas. <laughs> but uh, like the Cloud Act, which is a completely different realm today, is actually a good first step in terms of having a legal framework for how we can, in fact, protect the privacy of anybody who has data in the cloud uh, and yet have the ability for any law enforcement agency to issue legal warrants. So we now have to have a technical and a legislative breakthrough around what is considered personal information that's not in the cloud. And so I think that this is something that we will have to work out. We just can't take all hard stances on all sides. No. But we've got to recognize that, look, 
privacy is a human right. And that's what I think is core to our values here in the United States. And we just cannot jeopardize that. Well, you're articulating them well. We're going to take a break here. We're going to bring in your sensational CFO. I've known for decades, decades, Amy Hood, when we come back in a moment. Absolutely. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ever since Satya Nadella took over as CEO of Microsoft in 2014, well, this stock has been great. It has rallied roughly 355%, total return of more than 420% when you include dividends. Darn thing hit a new high today. Second biggest company on earth, what a track record. Let's get back to our interview with the man himself, this time joined by the incredible longtime CFO, Amy Hurt. Part two, Microsoft. Welcome to an old friend, Amy Hood. Uh, Amy, you have done remarkable things as CFO. I want a lot of people to understand that when you do a billion-dollar fund, that Sadi talked about earlier, when you do a, a gigantic initiative for housing, these are things that you, the bean counter, champion. They are, but I think really it's fundamentally that I do believe these are good return investments. Um, I take a very long-term view. I think that's one of the things that we've prided ourselves on, whether that's investing in our employees, whether that's investing in the region through the housing, or whether the announcement this morning on climate. I mean, these are fundamentally issues of business return. All right. Uh, and I look at that probably well, quite Let's closely. say I hit you. I'm a big investor. I come in. I say, listen, guys, what's the ROI on that billion dollars that you just wasted on the environment? It'll be measured much like everything else I do here. I, um, the team would probably be giggling if they heard uh, that question, frankly. Um, we do hold ourselves accountable, just like we hold ourselves accountable when we talk about our business results. These are no different to me. Uh, the progress we announced a couple days ago the, on the affordable housing in the year, uh, you could expect us to make the same type of transparent commitments uh, on climate. What Amy has done is really bring that level of rigor uh, in thinking about both what is the reward, what is the risk, and here, Amy talked about it, the risk is much broader than just a quarter of our gross margin. The risk is the very system that is making us successful in the first place could be ex- in dan- existential danger. And what is our commitment on behalf of our shareholders? to ensure that the thing that drives all this economy is, in fact, healthy. We are in a a very odd moment right here, where I feel the government has embraced things that used to be what corporations did, which is find a way, no matter what, to make money. Uh, People like you, 
are trying to find a way, no matter what, to preserve the earth and also do well for shareholders. This happened rather rapidly. Why? I mean, first of all, I, I think that even, you know, governments uh, are reacting to sort of the mandates they have. They want, for example, a fairer trade. They, in fact, want more equitable growth. True. So True. I sort of don't, I take signal from that. So I, I actually have no issues with any government policy. It's just that we as companies also have to work on our own approach to the world. And what are we contributing? Instead of sort of looking at constraints, what is our core responsibility in spite of the constraints is, I think, the art of business, at least the way I look at it is, right? It's an over-constrained problem, finding a path through it, and yet preserving the long-term viability and relevance of your company is what leadership is about. Well, at the same time, uh, when I look at what your company has done, I mean, second largest company in the world, done remarkable uh, allocation to different businesses that many people felt, for instance, you couldn't win it. When Amazon Web Services ruled the world, which it does not anymore, uh, the idea that anyone would go up against Amazon was foolish. We've seen that in retail. We've seen that in pretty much anything Amazon touches. You can. What made you think that, uh, that it would be worth it, that the return could be there going against the low-cost producer? It's interesting. We actually probably thought about the question quite differently, which is that we came from having a set of customers who relied on us for decades, Jim. Okay. And we said, what do they need? And what can we do uniquely to help? And whether you, the answer to that would be Azure or Microsoft right. 365 or Dynamics or a gaming console, yeah. it didn't really matter. It was more to say, gosh, there's opportunity here, and we know we can deliver differently. We've done this. People rely on us. They trust us. We've done a good job of building that over a decade, and frankly, we knew the team could deliver. Uh, you heard Satya talk about it. We've had a unique view here um, around the edge and the cloud right. and fundamentally how they were going to have to interoperate over decades. Uh, and so I think when we talked about this hybrid value prop and people, I think, rightfully used to give us a hard time about that five or six years ago. No longer. Now that's the language. And that's really what customers are asking us for. Your leadership style, I think, has uniquely uh, led it so that someone, uh, the torch gets passed. Amy's been here for a long time. I came out here in, in 1986. I'm, I'm the first time. I'm kind of shocked. A lot of people never left. <laughs> How, you must inspire because the turnover out here is pretty crazy. But there are many year, many people who understand the long-term history of what the clients wanted, and that has really helped you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, no, I mean, I'm a big believer that companies have an identity, a core sense of purpose, right? I mean, think about it. Bill and Paul start the company in 1975 right. in your dorm rooms uh, and say, hey, look, software is a good thing. Let's build tools for people developing software. And that, by the way, is key. Right. We want to build technology platforms and tools so that others can create more technology. And the fact that in 2020, software is everywhere, that means right. the market is a lot bigger than Paul and Bill imagined it was in 75. And we have to refresh. We have to have new concepts around AI, new concepts on distributed computing with the edge, you know, completely different ways to think about even end-user computing with things like HoloLens. But guess what? It's software. And you obviously care. You're, you're passionate about this company. Every time I've ever seen you talk to you, this company is it's just in your blood. I love this place. But I love it because maybe of what Sathya is talking about. 
is if we all say we want to get better every day. And I do believe right. that. Like everybody wants to, can learn something, can behave in a different, more positive way. And you believe that every day you get a chance to do that at a place like this. Uh, it's hard to believe you wouldn't love it. Um, it gives you such an opportunity to learn and get better and practice and make a difference. It's pretty easy, really. Last question. Uh, Sasha asked you this. A young person, talented young person, do you think they'll go to a place that doesn't care about the earth when they have a chance to go to one that knows that it's a stakeholder? You know, did I tell you my, the best hiring line for anybody who has competing offers is I just say one thing, which is if you want to be cool, go somewhere else. If you want to make others cool, join Microsoft. That's sort of who we are. I think we leave it at that. Sacha Delphine, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Wow. That's Sacha Nadella, Microsoft CEO, and that's Amy Hood, the CFO. Uh, wow. Quite a day. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you. I love, love, love when stocks go higher, but ideally I want them to rally on real news and not because they're simply playing catch up. What's the real news? This morning we got sharply better than expected results from Morgan Stanley, which demonstrated a phenomenal level of consistency that's sorely lacking in the bank industry. This huge investment bank is printing money like a BlackRock or a State Street, similar trust companies that simply gather assets. Yet Morgan Stanley's stock trades like an earnings are, earnings are episodic when this company makes good money every day. It's selling for barely 11 times earnings. That's bananas. This kind of consistency deserves a higher price earnings multiple. So it's no wonder the stock surged 6.6% on the great news. I bet it's got more room to run. It's not done. That's what a legitimate move looks like. But uh, there's another kind of gain, and these are truly catch-up gains. I've seen 57 varieties of catch-up since this earnings season got rolling. Only the original has that, isn't it? Well, they're all playing catch-up. Now, these are moves that are not based on new information. They're based on the analysts trying to chase momentum. Even as the companies themselves are doing well. It's, it's just that there was nothing new to warrant a talk, a squawk, something today. Let me give you a couple examples. First, there's AMD, which caught a major price target boost from Barclays this morning. Now, AMD's killing it. You know I think Lisa Sue's the greatest. It's in part because of resurgent demand for data center hardware, and in part because they're taking share in personal computers, stacks of some red-hot new processors and manufacturing problems at its chief competitor, Intel. The problem? Well, it's just old news. Yet this morning, Barclays raised its price target on AMD from 32 to 50 on precisely these same old positives. Given that the stock's sitting at just below 50 bucks, well, I don't regard that as very helpful. Do you? This analyst has had an equal weighting, well, that's Wall Street speak for hold, on this one as the stock surged higher. And now, yes, catch up. I say thanks for nothing. Sometimes you get the ultimate indignity, the price target boost coupled with a simultaneous downgrade. And that's what Morgan Stanley did today to the stock of Tesla. They raised their earnings forecast, uh, raised the price target, yet they downgraded the stock to un- from underweight, from hold to underweight. Underweight being sell. Now, to be fair, Tesla's been on an incredible run. The stock's more than doubled in less than three months. And this analyst missed it. They underestimated the earnings power this company could have if it managed to hit its own production forecast, to say nothing of Morgan Stanley's targets. So they raised the price target from 250 to 360. This stock's above 500, for heaven's sake, making this the worst kind. No, organic, simply, that's fine. Let's call this one the worst kind of downgrade. Did you know they added sugar to ketchup? 
They think Tesla's run so much that it's become much higher risk than it used to be. Well, that's actually a fair point. But it would be much easier to take it seriously if it wasn't coming from someone who missed the train leaving the station. As I've been telling you all week, I like rallies based on real news, like we saw in Morgan Stanley today. A heck of a lot more than rallies based on nothing, like we saw in AMD. As for the Tesla downgrade, the stock's been too darn hot. But this call is the worst kind of 50-cent variety of catch-up. One upside, it's giving you a chance to buy Tesla into a rare moment of weakness. Bad Money's back after the break. That's where I take your calls. Rapid fire one another. You send the set of talk. There's a bye bye bye. My step. There's a great going to play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Let's go to Owen in Pennsylvania. Owen. What's going on, Big Jim? Now that we're holding hands with China again, what do you think about JD.com? We don't need JD.com. We've got Alibaba. Now they're both up a lot, but I like Alibaba very much. Gene in Arizona. Gene. Gene, you're up. Hey, Jim, a big fan. Hey, uh, for, thanks a bunch. Uh, as a home gamer, we're grateful for everything you do for us. Um, Excellent. What's going on? Stock I'm looking at is a company called Adverm Biotech. They've got this really cool gene therapy for macular degeneration. I saw a presentation on it. got me really excited. I've been buying the stock, and I would love to hear what you think about well, look, it. Look, this is the kind of spec that I like, and I encourage. I encourage this kind of speculation on mad money because as long as you don't put too much money in it, maybe this is the home run. Don't put too much money in it, and it can work. Wes in North Carolina. Wes! No, this Wes! Is, this is Mike, Jim. Even better. Mike, what's up? Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. How about you? I'm doing great. I have a question here. Uh, my stock dropped uh, about 20% on Monday. Uh, I've owned it for about a year and a half off and on. I'm talking about Indigen. Indigen. Oh, boy. They missed the numbers really big. Now, that means they're in the penalty box. Need to see not one but two quarters before I would be willing to buy that. That was a terrible miss. It deserved to go down. Margie in California. Margie. Yeah. Hi, Jim. It's a pleasure talking to you. And my stock is Trade Desk. T-T-D. That company is miraculous. It's true. It's a great way. Better better way to play cord cut, by the way, than Roku. Oh, yeah. And even more. A double buy. Let's go to Tyler in Texas. Tyler. Big booyah, Jimmy Chill. How you been, buddy? Jimmy Chill is chilling. That's good news, He's man. He's chilling big time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. What's so up? I got a REIT in my portfolio that I bought, and I did, I'm doing some homework on it. And okay, I like homework. Recent, they just recently upped the dividend, and they just recently upsized their common shares. What do you think about Stag Industrial? The industrial REITs are really the only REITs right now that are actually working. And they're working phenomenally. They did that cap raise. I thought it was very good. I think you got a good one, and I would stick with it. And I would stick with Kramer. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
We need to talk about GW Pharma. The drug company makes synthetic medicines that are inspired by cannabis. At the beginning of the week, GW spiked when the company pre-announced some excellent results, including huge sales for the newly launched epilepsy drug. Now, last night, we got a chance to check in with Justin Gover, the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. Take a look. Justin, you kicked off the most important healthcare event of the year with an unbelievable pre-announcement. Tell us what it means. Thank you. Uh, and, and it was a great start of the year. It's been a great J.P. Morgan conference so far as well. Um, we announced that the first full year of sales of Epidiolex were around $300 million. It's an incredible launch year for any medication. I think proves that this kind of medicine is really making a difference to patients. It shows real value to the healthcare system. And it sets us up, I think, in a very nice way for what should be in another great year for us in 2020. Yeah, I think people have to recognize that blockbusters don't come out this quickly and typically they don't have the awareness the medical community must understand what this drug can do for epilepsy that's right. It's, uh, it's awareness, not just because of what this drug is. It's mm-hmm. CBD, which obviously is very high profile, but because it really represents a breakthrough within the field of epilepsy. It's a new mechanism to treat epilepsy. We're obviously treating very high-need patients, often children, that are having many seizures a day. So the ability to provide a real advance in this therapeutic area, together with the fact that this is the first ever cannabis product approved by the FDA has together created, I think, an exceptional environment for us to to commercialize this product. Uh, uh, To have epilepsy uh, is to unfortunately have stigma in this country. There are epileptics who are afraid to uh, go for getting jobs because they don't, the uh, medical community had nothing really for them, so therefore the insurers had nothing for them, so therefore the employers had nothing for them. You're changing that whole paradigm. We are, and we're providing, I think, in a condition where there is a lot of stigma, the opportunity for patients who maybe have also been experimenting with unregulated, non-FDA-approved products to actually come into the healthcare system to have medicines that they can trust, they know what's in it, they can be supervised by their physician, and the healthcare insurers recognize the value that that provides to to patients and to the hospital systems and to the healthcare system at large. Uh, Ever since we heard about legalization of cannabis, there have always been people telling me, well, that's the death knell for GW Pharma. I have said, even though it's it's certainly cannabis-derived, it's the opposite, that frankly, the FDA is not going to approve these other guys. And so therefore, no doctor in America will ever prescribe what is currently being sold away from you. No, FDA shouldn't and won't change away from the gold standard, which is proving that the drug is safe and efficacious for patients. They've done that with Epidiolex. It's the right way to make these kind of medicines available. And I think not only can we do that for Epidiolex within the field of epilepsy, but for the pipeline too. There are other products, cannabis-based drugs, that can go, go through legitimate, real scientific research and provide other patients with similar benefits through the healthcare system and, and without forcing them to go outside of medical care and outside of the FDA system. Well, let's talk about one that has, unfortunately, a lot of people had to go outside because uh, it's not treatable. PTSD, right. that's something you're actually uh, doing a uh, phase one. There's something, there's some hope there. 
There is. It's actually a new program that we are announcing this week. And it's an example of where we're seeing uses of cannabis and other products and where we've been looking at the science and indeed doing much of the science and realizing that there's real potential for an FDA-approved cannabis-based option in, in the field of PTSD. We're going to be starting phase two, so patient studies this year. We're also bridging from a product we have in multiple sclerosis in Europe to bring that into the United States. We're looking at spinal cord injury autism, schizophrenia. This is, I think, the, the opening up of the field of cannabinoid science beyond epilepsy to really build a future for the company and for a suite of medicines of this kind, which will all represent real advances. Well, obviously, you don't want just the United States. Uh, you're having some good fortune in the UK. Right. We just got um, the National Health Service in the UK to fund the uh, use of Epidiolex in the UK. We're seeing that the drug is utilized in Germany already. It's being adopted in France. We expect Italy and Spain to do so later this year. And of course, this is a global phenomenon. The interest in CBD, the interest in F, you know, regulated cannabis-based products is something that's not specific to the US or Europe. It goes beyond. And so there's a really exciting future for these products across the globe. I know that you uh, have not been giving a 2020 guidance. I've been just looking at some of these analysts. They're talking about the possibility of having $6 per share earnings power, $13 per share per share earnings power. I don't want to hold you these, but it does seem that these are that, that's the possibility that this could be a $2 billion drug, a $3 billion drug. When I hear about all these indications, and if they all work out, that actually may make sense. This, I mean, a few years ago, we were a small company. Um, you know, the company's transformed in, the, in these few years. A few years from now, if we deliver continued success for Epidiolex, have even one or two of these drugs we've been talking about come through into the pipeline, this is a, it'll be another level of, of growth and value creation for GW Pharma. Well, how about awareness for your company? I mean, do people come in and say, listen, I want some sort of pot drug? Or do people say, listen, I've heard about this drug. I know it's worked for children. I want it so I can lead a normal life. Absolutely. They, they want uh, tried and tested science-led solutions. They want to know the drug they're taking is the same drug they're going to take a year from now or two years from now. They want to know the side effect profile. They want to understand that they want to know that what they're getting is something they can trust. And what we provide in a world where uh, there are different forms of cannabis products available from different sources, that they understand that this is the right approach for them when it comes to treating treatment of patients, as I say, not just with epilepsy, but hopefully with other conditions in the years to come. One that is, seems intractable, uh, we were, were talking to uh, Omar Ishraq, who's from Medtronic, and you know, he's a terrific guy and the company's terrific but they were talking about the he was talking about the notion of people who are just kind of suicidal and depressed and that there's nothing for the pain that then generates that view so in other words they're suicidal and depressed because they have pain um i would like to think that pain studies versus say opioids which we know are terrible could eventually lead to epidiolex well, it may be Epidiolex or it may be another cannabis-based right. product as well. But those would be yours too. These are, these are all opportunities for us. I would say we can't do everything at once. Right. So I, I need to caution you that, that we have I to know. take I things know. one at a time. But, you know, there is obviously the, the, the benefits that I think the world has seen with various kinds of cannabis-based products provides opportunity for us to then drill into the science and make sure that we are, answer these questions. And if there's an analgesic 
medicine that we can develop will do so in the right way. We know that in this country, uh, the insurers have a tremendous amount of power. Uh, Have the insurers embraced this to a level where people don't have to worry if it's prescribed that it's going to break the bank? They have, and I think we believe we've priced the medicine responsibly. I think insurers com- insurance companies have responded in kind. Um, Express Scripts is a, is a, as, has a, a, a wide access for this medication. Various states do. But, of course, this is a journey. In 2020, we want to make sure that all those appropriate patients who seek access and physicians determine that the drug is appropriate for them are able to obtain this on insurance. They've been successful, I think, in 2019, mm-hmm. but we can do more in 2020. But you have been a great steward of, of something that could, in another, in, in another company's hands, actually be abused. You're t- taking your time, trying to be sure about the, this little side effects, whatever, and plan it the way the FDA wants it. I'm glad right. for that. We don't take shortcuts. No, you the, sure the, don't. These are, it's these a are, long time in the making. Right. People should recognize that. Right. 20 years of work, and uh, now I think the next 20 years can begin. I agree with you. That's Justin Gobri, CEO of GW Pharma. Guys, this is the only real one, okay? I, I don't think that the others are going to get real. Stable Kramer. Thank you to the entire fabulous team at Microsoft for your hospitality and your graciousness. What a great time. Like I said, there's always one working somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.